So I guess the best way I know I know we've we've sort of talked about a couple of these issues in the past with um, you know a lot of the people here. So I guess hold on, let me just share my screen and then I'll uh, talk to you. Um, so what I would say is that I was last week, um, you know, I was in Denver um, meeting with uh, the management teams of Liberty. So, you know, that's John Malone, uh, Greg Maffei, uh, Mike Freeze, who runs Liberty Global, and Paul there who runs Liberty Latin America. And so I think a lot of the discussion was around, especially with Dr. Malone on the economic side, was really around just sort of how the market's changing, uh, the public markets especially. Um, you know, inflation is here to stay. It might not be 6%. You know, Stephen can tell you much more about this than I can, but it might not be 6%, but maybe it's 3 to 4%, and we've sort of seen a move in, you know, the 10-year Treasury up because of that. So the question is, you know, how do you invest in the public markets accordingly? And, you know, I think one, what we've sort of realized is it's sort of a two-fold barbell approach, right? We have a positive view on the cloud uh, through a couple of our ARS strategies, you know, we're invested in, you know, Google, Microsoft, Amazon. Um, and so we think that those are obviously the businesses that are quality, uh, they have real barriers to entry, and the number of workloads going into the cloud is still sort of increasing or accelerating. And so we think the free cash flow to those businesses and the growth that you're getting through them um, is sort of here to stay. You know, they all put up somewhere between 37 and 45% or 53%, I think, for Google Cloud um, growth, revenue growth. And so we think, you know, paying 12, 15 times EBITDA for these sort of stable quality revenue streams still makes sense even here. Um, and then on the other side, sort of the other end of the barbell, what we're trying to do is we're really trying to find the businesses, like Mark said, that have real free cash flow. Um, you know, one of the, the things that Greg Maffei said was, you know, you're, just, you're basically trying to, to, to pull the hype out. And so there are so many businesses in the last, um, you know, couple of years that have really, you know, SPACs especially, right, and some of the businesses they've acquired have just been, you know, uh, businesses that haven't generated real ROIs. And I think our goal is really finding the businesses that we think are kind of off the beaten path uh, and have... Um, you know, kind of great ROI characteristics because they have real technology, they have real management teams, and when we sort of underwrite where we're buying the stock today, um, you know, we think we can we can make multiples of returns uh, into the future because these aren't well-known businesses. Um, so again, back to the Liberty meetings, you know, when we were talking about, you know, broadband growth, um, clearly with 4K, 8K video, the numbers you're seeing out of the cable companies of what consumers are consuming in the home is uh, pretty astounding, right? And I think COVID excelling, we all know COVID accelerated that. Uh, and so um, the the thing that Dr. Malone was saying was that, you know, you, you still have to think about technology obsolescence. Uh, and he mentioned LEO satellites by name, and I know it's a discussion we've had uh, in one of Mark's, um, you know, Tuesday meetings. But, um, you know, we're invested in the company that, uh, they have sort of a legacy satellite fleet uh, that's declining about 5% a year, but we're buying the business at $24, and that legacy satellite fleet is generating something like $5 in free cash flow per share, right? So we're buying this legacy asset at five times earnings, uh, five times free cash flow, and then they're building this LEO business, and that LEO business is now fully funded. We've looked at the architectures of all of the LEO constellations. We think this is sort of the most interesting <coughs> one with the best architecture and will generate the highest, 
you know, returns on invested capital. Again, they fully funded it. Uh, it's not going to fully launch because they're building it right now. It's not going to fully launch until 2024. So you don't start to see the benefits of the cash flows in that business till then. But um, I'll give you a little bit more detail. Hopefully I'm not overcomplicating the situation. But basically this was a private company and it was uh, two-thirds owned by a public company. And so, and then what happened was the other uh, shareholder of the private satellite company, they owned one-third of it, and they wanted liquidity. So what they did was they merged the public entity with the private entity. And so this has no, it, it didn't go through the straight IPO path. It has no research coverage right now. I know Goldman and JP Morgan are sort of kicking the tires on it. So we think that's one catalyst to it. But the point is, it's so undervalued because people just don't know it exists. And there was some weird index selling that happened in this name because um, of the way the merger happened. And they dual listed in the U.S. and Canada. So anyway, long story short, uh, cheap, um, really good technology, very good management team, um, totally underfollowed. And fit sort of some of the secular themes that we believe in, um, you know, at ARS and, um, you know, kind of validated by John Malone, who I would argue is probably one of the smarter, you know, capital allocators in this industry. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of a, a, just a flavor for the types of stuff we look at and how we're essentially trying to do things a little differently than buying, except for the, you know, three companies I mentioned with the cloud exposure. We're sort of trying, we're trying to do things very differently than other people. Um, a couple of people on the call mentioned FinTech. So again, maybe thrown out with the bathwater, you know, we are invested in a public company, a stock down 70% um, with, with, with sort of the drop in, in, in crypto and uh, where interest rates have gone. And this is a Canadian fintech company. We've got to, gotten to know the CFO and president you know, really well to the extent that we're emailing um, a couple of times a week now and um, talking to him every month or so. And so this business, they uh, bought 40% uh, of the um, basically the Coinbase of Canada um, and then they, they bought a piece of a crypto exchange in Canada. And then they also bought a broker-dealer, and they did all of this in 2020. And so what they did was they used that broker-dealer to, to create a free stock trading app. So if you look at it, it looks exactly like Robinhood, but the difference is they're not selling um, you know, the volumes. They're basically making money on the app based on FX. So when people in Canada, you know, trade U.S. stocks, they make a little bit of a vig on the FX. So that's how they're making money off this. Uh, what we like about it is, one, it's down a lot. You know, it's a $250 million market cap. They have $100 million in cash. So we're paying $150 million for uh, an enterprise value for this business. And uh, they just launched the um, stock trading app. They're still in the process of back-ending the crypto and the NFT into the app. So all of their customers can kind of trade all three on the app. Um, and so we like the dynamic in Canada because um, they effectively have to regulate or get regulated in every province, especially. And so that's why you've seen a lot of U.S. foreign companies not move into Canada with fintech. Um, so we think the barriers are high. And the other thing we like is that, you know, as everybody knows, Canada is sort of a little bit different of an animal in terms of the banks being a little stodgier. And so they're not doing what the U.S you know, retail brokers have done with free stock trading. They're still keeping the, you know, 8, 10, 12 bucks a trade. So the interesting thing here is that, again, we use a lot of data science in what we're doing. And so, you know, we're looking at the app Annie data in Canada, and we're seeing that this is, despite the fact that it's, again, a couple hundred million dollar company, they're, uh, they have the, the second highest app downloads of finance apps in Canada on app Annie after PayPal. So, um, you know, they're really growing. And so, you know, when you look at that data and you kind of back into numbers, 
the market has them growing their subscriber base by 75,000 a quarter. They've already done 100,000 downloads in January on um, you know the app. And so the point being, this is the kind of business that we want to own. I was on a call that one of our sell-side brokers put on with Gemini, with the, the, the president at Gemini yesterday, and he was saying they raised money at $7 billion. You know, yeah, Canada's not the size of the U.S., but if these guys are doing the exact same thing, they have the credit card or the debit card that pays cash back in crypto, um, so they're sort of doing the same thing. Yes, the market might be one-tenth of the size, but Gemini's raising money at $7 billion. I don't know why this company isn't worth a billion plus when it's trading at a couple hundred billion. So, you know, these are the kinds of opportunities we're looking for in the public markets. Um, in terms of my background, if that's helpful, um, as we were talking about earlier, I was at, I got into the investment business in 2006. I was at uh, Tiger Europe, um, you know, 2009 through 2012. And then I was at Cobalt and ran uh, the TMT consumer uh, you know, sector. is about five, $600 million in exposure for, for Wayne Cooperman there. Um, launched Papyrus in 2016, um, folded it into ARS to work with uh, smart people like Steven um, every day, which is nice. Uh, so that's kind of a nutshell of, of, of what we do, where we're seeing the, the, the value in the public markets. Again, back to Liberty, um, Greg Maffei was saying, you know, there's a lot of hype, right, in these markets, like I was talking about earlier, but if we can find those babies thrown out with the bathwater, like I think we have, where the satellite company is down 50%, the, um, you know, the, 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 the fintech company is down 70% from the highs. So, you know, a whole portfolio of those we think will outperform, and, you know, we have an investor who came in late last year, and this is somebody, you know, I've grown up, grown up in the same town as me. Um, you know, he owns kind of a copper smelting, steel fabrication business, and he had told me that he was putting money in just because he doesn't want sort of exposure to the high growth stocks at ridiculous valuations in the FANG stocks. And so that's kind of the, the type of investor, you know, old boss put in money um, uh, a few months ago on the same uh, thesis. So that's sort of the types of investors I think that this strategy appeals to where we can hopefully get the upside of um, you know the last few years of technology and kind of get that technology exposure but um, you know do it in a way where we think the risk reward is better and obviously we're doing it with a lot more diligence into the businesses we're buying than sort of you know buying the names of the index if that if that makes sense but that's yeah uh, uh, ARS does these six transformations, and yeah. which play into what you do. But <laughs> if you're just thinking some themes that you see, so sub themes of, 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 of that you, know, you think we'll, we will see playing out across all asset classes and taxes. Yeah, I mean, um, it's funny. I'm writing our quarterly letter on, on that exactly right now, and kind of listing them all out. But I think one is obviously digital acceleration, right? You've seen that profession. You've seen that in the cloud, right? You've seen that like. Yes, I've been is talking about in the in um, you know factories. You're seeing more automation. One because it was accelerated in COVID, just because you know they wanted to keep people out of factories. You're obviously seeing that with business processes. You're seeing that with the consumer, right? Even with streaming, the average consumer uses so much more data streaming than with linear television. So cord cutting really boosts that the, uh, the value the cable companies get. Um, from a broadband perspective, and so you, you know, we're, we own Charter, for example, at you know 12 times free cash flow, buying back all their stock with free cash flow. Um, you know, $650 stock, we think they do $150 in free cash flow per share in four years. So, you know, you're trading your big business trading, you know, very stable, very predictable. 
um, secular themes um, that, that, that we like, uh, trading at four times free cash flow a few years out. Um, you know, on top of that, uh, you know, we think that, you know, fintech is here to stay to some extent. You know, we're still getting our arms around to the extent to which crypto and NFT um, and sort of that trading is, you know, stimulus money versus what's long-term and what's sustainable. Obviously, we think, you know, the blockchain side is more sustainable. Um, and so, you know, that's another area, again, by this, uh, this Canadian fintech I was mentioning. Um, you know, another area where we see value, same thing in overall data in terms of DRAM and memory. Uh, we think that, you know, businesses that are oligopolies like memory um, are, you know, somewhere where we want to, where we think companies are trading at 12, 14 times earnings uh, and growing with real price rationality. So those are kind of uh, a few of the themes that, that I think we're, we're, we're playing, uh, if that answers the question. Yeah. Any other questions? Nathan, can you just touch on, uh, there were some interesting comments out of the meeting about inflation and deflation pressures on pricing, and I think that's a fascinating area to just lay out since inflation is such a big topic. Yeah, so I think we, our view on some of that is, um, you know, uh, supply chains um, are out of whack right now. We think that at base in the next nine months to a year, year and a half. Um, you know, we think the chip shortage at base in the next six to eight months. And so, you know, our view is kind of similar to exactly what, what John Malone said. You know, we're at the 6% plus inflation level right now. If that drops to 3 or 4%, um, we think that's, uh, that's a little bit more sustainable. That probably means 2 2 and a quarter percent tenure. Uh, the issue, I think, that, that we're looking at, though, is that we see energy inflation is a little bit more persistent. But aside from all of that, we think things are going to come back to normal to some extent. And we think multiples, again, um, probably of the high-growth businesses, some of that gets sucked out into the market, um, especially as the Fed tapers. But... Um, you know, we think that again, these, these businesses, like some of the bank businesses, some of these other businesses I talked, I told you about that have lower multiples. We think there's real value in them. Um, so that's kind of our, our our view on all of that. So before we move from big picture, any questions on themes? That... You sort of was that a little bit of a knock? You don't know if the NFTs are gonna. We don't know. I mean, I'd be, I, I mean, we think it's going to be real, but the question is, is it going to be real at 30% of today's volumes or, you know, 150%? We just don't know, right? I mean, I think it's pretty amazing. It's sort of a provenance for, you know, kind of what's real, but the question is, you know, pay-to-play games, I think, is one area that I question whether or not there's um, excessive sort of inflation in some of these, some of these games. But, you know, I'm certainly not the expert uh, in that. Uh, we just try to go where the cash flows are, I think, because that's what we can justify. So do you think from the NFT space, look, I, art is obviously is hot right now. It's going to dry down. I don't see that continue. But in terms of every everything and anything in the world is experienced, right? So if you look at anything that you can sell and create an experience around it, doesn't matter if it's an event, to meet with Mark Shainer, pay 50 bucks, you can give you access to X, or you go to a fitness contest, you get to meet with Orn. Are you willing to pay extra half a million dollars? Or Warren Buffett, if he's speaking, look, if you're able to pay $100,000 more, and Disney, the same thing, right? So if you look at how these channels work, the experience-led economy will sustain. Is that your point of view, or you think that's I mean, yeah, I just don't know how that, that kind of general ledger system, how is that, 
different than what you can do today. Um, I just don't know how that's monetizable and how you sort of invest in it, how you make money off of it, I think. Really, that's, that's why we have venture. That's another thing, like if you have companies like Live Nation, you have companies like Ticketmaster and StubHub. So these tickets are getting sold over and over, but the originator who's actually putting that experience, who's the co-owner, all of these resales are making money, 20, 30, 40, 50% margin, right? But the person who's actually creating that experience, he doesn't, but through the general ledger, that money is passed on to the originator. If you're able to make, after, let's say a Ranger skip, take is 100 bucks, sold at 150. Who's making that endpoint? StubHub, Ticketmaster, or somebody 